we are going to continue our series on selfless. This is what God has put in my heart to share with you for the month of January. It's a series on selfless. I want to introduce this week's message on being faithful in our service. Being faithful in service. So I'm going to encourage you guys to just take notes on this. Pay attention um, to what's being said because I'm going to break it down what it means to be faithful in service. You know, and we think about the new year. We say, wow, in my New Year's resolution is I'm going to be more committed to the church. So I'm going to be more committed to getting a job. Or I'm going to be more committed in my school. I'm going to be more committed to my family. I'm going to spend more time with my grandkids. And I'm going to do all these things here. And uh, I'm going to be committed to do these things in our New Year's resolutions. And you know, oftentimes when we have too many resolutions, we don't end up doing any of them, right? So that's why we have to be careful what we pick and choose to be our New Year's resolution. One of the things I was telling I think Marie Denton, I was telling her the other day, I think yesterday, I was saying, one of my things is, I'm going to get more fit. Fit. I could, I could get more fish, too. I got, a pond, got two, I got a pond back here. Then we got the other pond, you know, back there, the creek back there, so I can get more. I might get gators instead of fish, though. I might have to buy me a pair of gators, too. I don't know. That's one of my New Year's resolutions. And so I'm taking this vitamin that gives me more of a boost of energy because I've noticed in my, now that I'm turning, in my, I'm in my 40s, and that's, you know, I'm old now, right? You know, I'm in my 40s now, and I, I noticed that midday, my energy level begins to go, doo, 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 doo. and when I first got here, somebody made a comment, Pastor, do you ever sleep because you have a lot of energy? And I said, you know, if you see me in the midday, you probably would think, man, that's not the same Pastor Raphael that I know, because by then I'm like, especially having to work with teenagers at OCA when I'm P the PE, 6th and 7th grade. By the time I get out of there, I'm like, and I come back to the office here, and I'm like, And so one of my commitments is I'm taking this vitamin. It's a liquid-based vitamin. It has a lot of B12 in it, and it has vitamin A in it. And, you know, they say these things. It's good. And honestly, this is scientific. They've been studying some scientific things that if the, the vitamin levels or our, our immune system could actually, based on what, how healthy we are in a sense of vitamins and exercise and eating right, that we can actually not be affected by COVID. Or if we are, we won't even know. Some people have had COVID, didn't even know they had it. My pastor friend in Tampa, he got it, his, and he didn't know it, and then his daughter had it, and so she's the one that began to show signs and symptoms, and they got tested, and sure enough, they had it. And so it affects people differently. I'm not saying if it, you know, if you're not, if it affects you, everybody's system, immune system is different, but the more we exercise, the more we take care of ourselves, the more we can fight such things and not even have an effect on us when we are contracted with whatever we get, right, when we get connected to something that is not good for our body. And so one of my commitments is I want to be more healthy. I want to exercise more. So pray for me because you know what? Sometimes when we make re resolutions, we get busy. The business of life comes and we begin to drop off those commitments, right? And some of you are thinking about that. And last week I talked about being bold in our witness. And I encourage you guys to be more bold in your witness and your encouraging of people and loving on people to be more bold and step out. Today we're going to talk about being faithful in service. And I'll introduce you this uh, message with a story that happens over and over with our family. There's times that I get very rom romantic with, with Pastor Marie. 
Well, Pastor Raphael, what are you talking about? I'm not talking about that, okay? I'll eat that for Valentine's, all right? A series on love and Valentine's, okay? But there's times I get very, very romantic. There's times I'll give her a kiss on the cheek or I'll give her a huggy-huggy. And every single time I try to give her a kiss on the cheek or even on the lips, my daughter, one of my daughters goes, ew, daddy, ew. And we all laugh because we remember when we were nine years old, right, eight years old, eight, nine years old, how boys got cooties. Ew, girls got cooties. Ew. We remember the Little Rascals, right? I think, uh, I think Stan was in a Little Rascals movie, weren't you? Were you spanky? No, anyway. Right? And that, they always say that. Ew. Yuck, daddy. Daddy loves mommy. Uh, uh, uh. And so the saying is, in the house is, yes, daddy does love mommy, and you got to get used to daddy hugging and loving on mommy, okay? Because I do love her, and I have to show her that by my expressions. Now, do I always feel love towards my wife? Sometimes she gets on my nerves. And sometimes I don't want to express love to her, but you know what I did? I do. I combat that feeling by responding in a hug and a kiss so that I won't feel the way I feel at the moment no longer. So sometimes it might be a little quick kiss. And she's like, that's not as wet as it was before. And I got, you know, if you notice, I, you know, sometimes I, when I'm talking, a spit comes out my mouth, and sometimes the kiss could be a little bit wet, and she's like, whoa, that, blah. I say, well, when you got lips like mine, you just got to do what you got to do. So the saying in my house has become, Daddy is always loving Mommy. Always loving Mommy. And here's the question I want to ask you this morning. What, are, what would others say that you are always doing? Are they saying that you're a very encouraging person? That you have the gift. I've talked about unwrapping your spiritual gifts in the month of December. That you have the gift of encouragement. Would they say that you're an encouraging person, so you're always lifting somebody up? Or would they say that you're gripping, griping? You're always griping about something. Why did Pastor Raphael wear that shirt this morning? I feel like playing checkers now on his chest. You know, or chess, checkers, whatever. Why did he wear that? I'm a plaid. Ugh. That's so old school, right? Are you always griping? Are you always finding faults in your family members or anybody else? Man, you know, just, sometimes I've got to repent for me because I'm always finding a fault in one of my daughters. Why? Because they complain too much. Guys, help me. I live in a house with four females, okay? Well, who's the fourth one? The cat. I need therapy. Help me, please, okay? And so they're always griping, right? And I, you get, are you knowing for that? The cat gripes sometimes when she's hungry. Meow, meow, meow. I'm like, oh, God. And that cat's always hungry. You see my cat, you know why she's always hungry, okay? She is not a small cat. She's not. And sometimes she gets, you know, it's like, oh, goodness. Are you always finding faults? Are you always finding good things? Do you look for the good in people regardless of what they lack? That's a hard thing, right? Because we always want to look at the faults in somebody. Man, I don't know. I just don't like the way why Stan wears suspenders to church all the time. It just... <laughs> hey. 
Your New Year's resolution last year was to lose weight, right? So it worked. He's bringing back the old, he's bringing back the suspenders. I like it, you know? I like it. But are you always finding good in somebody? Man, you may not, you may not agree with what they do or how they look or what they, how they say. Or even sometimes in a church, you may not agree with somebody's theology. You may say, well, why do they believe that, right? And I just mentioned, we know, Seventh-day God Church, we're Pentecostal. Why do they believe in the spiritual gifts? Why do they believe in speaking in tongues? Or why do they believe in that? You know, and we, are we looking for the good or are we finding faults in what we lack or what we don't like somebody else does? And I try my best. I'm not perfect. I try my best to look for the good. I do. There's some people in my family. I'm like, oh, gosh, i got to try harder. Help me, oh, Lord. Let me be careful what I say because I had a family member say that I threw somebody under the bus the other day. So, Anyways. Some. You find faults, but you've got to look for the good in others, right? Are you always working? What does others say about you? Are you always working? Sometimes my girls, they, they make it clear to me. Daddy, why are you always on your computer? Because I'm working. Why are you always working? Because I have two jobs. But that's my indication that I have to stop. Pay attention to them. You know what we did yesterday before we came to prayer? This is very spiritual. You should try this. We played Monopoly. <laughs> why? Because they love it. That's what they love to do. And we think that we have to constantly entertain our kids with iPads and iPhones, and we have to put them in front of a computer. No, a simple thing like playing Monopoly, and Becky came over and kind of interrupted our game. Thank you, Becky. But she had a gift for us. She's like, right? We played Monopoly, and we enjoyed it. We loved it. Of course, charisma. She's so sensitive. Poor girl. She's such a sweet little girl. She's losing, and she's sitting there. And, you know, I'm a braggadocious person. I'm very competitive when it comes to Monopoly or anything, any kind of sport. And I'm, I'm, I was losing that first, and I'm like, ha, I'm catching up. I got this. And I make some, you know, business moves, and we, I'm getting ahead. And Charisma had to pay me money or, no, Marie. Marie was building hotels in her property, okay? And when it landed there, Charisma had to pay her, like, $200. And by the time she gave her that $200 for landing on our property, she was, like, almost broke. So she did, the, she, did, she did something quick. She made a quick maneuver. She got up and stormed to her room. And she was like, mad. I'm like, Charisma, is that the game? Is that the game, Charisma? Don't worry about it. Nobody loves me. Tell you, I need help, guys, okay? Oh, man, and we talked about bringing up the sweet, uh, we, for Spanish people, we do a quinceanera, it's like a sweet 16, it's like a big thing, wedding, dress, it's almost like a wedding, dress, you walk them down the aisle, and my wife's like, are we going to do a quinceanera? I'm like, no way, we're going to do it the English way, we're going to do it the, how Americans do it, okay, sweet 16, but I'm not doing no quinceanera, that's too much, you know, it's like, you got to do it both at the same time, I'll tell you, but are you always working? And it's good, you know, I, I enjoyed, that was my wake-up call. Daddy, get off the phone, get off the disc, and come play Monopoly. Okay, I play Monopoly. We never got to finish our game because Christmas started crying, she was upset, and, you know, whatever. We came to prayer, we got holy up, and we came to prayer. We repented for playing Monopoly. Not a sin. <laughs> it's a sin when you steal from the bank, though, if you're the banker. 
That's the sin. And I remember, I said this to one of my kids last, uh, after playing, I was like, man, we had somebody in my family who was quick to take money when he always wanted to be the banker. We never knew why. Why did he always want to be the banker? Later on in life, he tells us, I was just ripping you guys off the whole time. I'm like, that's the reason why. No wonder. And so I would never play Monopoly with my brother, Robert Maldonado, never again. Never again. He told me his secret. <laughs> but are you always playing video games? Are you always working out? Now that we have a New Year's resolution, are you always working out? Is that what you're always doing? Are you always about business? Are you always sharing with people, showing love and kindness, you know, serving in different ways? Are you always on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or TikTok? And I do not do TikTok. I'm sorry. Do not do it. Never will. Or Snapchat. Are you always on any one of those things on a regular basis? So what will others say that you are always doing? So our series is selfless. And I think you'll probably agree with me that we live in an incredibly selfish, self-centered, self-gratifying, self-promoting culture. It's all about me. I was just telling one of the ladies yesterday, I think the theme from last year was love yourself more. Right? And so that didn't work out for people because the pandemic hit, so they couldn't really love themselves more because they were most of the time in pajamas in their house. They couldn't go nowhere, so they were not going to take pictures of themselves being all, you know, that was a theme. Love yourself more. Instead of loving others, love yourself more. Matter of fact, I looked up what self-promotion meant. I looked it up on Google. And just to see what came up on the first page, there was article after article teaching you how to promote yourself, how to get ahead with self-promotion. There were several articles, different ones, and there was one that was called Stand Out for Success, The Secrets of Self-Promotion. Wow, that sounds like a great one to read. Stand out for success, the secrets of self-promotion. And years ago, Forbes came out with one called self-promotion is a skill. In other words, if you want to be good in the society, you better learn how to promote yourself. That's what they're trying to say. There was another one that I noticed, and maybe somebody here needs to read it. This may be for you. 40 ways to self-promote without being a jerk. That might be for me, too. I don't know. 40 ways. Probably going to come next week and be like, okay, there's one, Pastor Raphael, one, two, three, check mark, right? How about that? 40 ways to not be a jerk. All of this to say self-promotion is a skill, and we need to get really good at it. We have to get good at it. And this idea is becoming so prevalent throughout our culture. In fact, if you ask uh, if I ask you what do you think most common, the common career that a teenager wants what you think they will say. Well, 54% of teenagers for a career want to be a celebrity. 54%. I self-promote to help others see how great we are. As a career, 54 of teenagers today want to be a celebrity. They want to, do, they want to be noticed. They want to be recognized. And what they, what, what they say, what they really want to be is, if you're ever around most teenagers, most of them will say, I just want to be the GOAT. How many of you know what the GOAT is? Raise your hand. Let me see how many of you are around teenagers. What does the word GOAT mean? Not an animal, right? I don't remember. Some of you know it as an animal, right? Some of you are still kind of cool. 
So the GOAT stands for G-O-A-T. The GOAT is the greatest of all time. I had to look that up recently. I didn't know what it was. I guess I'm out of touch with, I'm not cool no more. So what is a GOAT? What is, what is that, all that? I want to be bad, you know, GOAT. I just want to be the GOAT. That's what they say. I want to be the greatest of all time. And it's self-promoting, self-centered, self-oriented culture. The problem is that if we want to follow Jesus and his teaching, it's absolutely opposed to self-centered, self-selfish, and self-promoting culture. That's why so many people are falling away from the Lord, because it's opposed to what our culture really is, and that's about self-promotion rather than serving Jesus. Wow. We got quiet in here. This is what Jesus said. If you want to follow me, you don't promise yourself, promote yourself. He said, first you must deny yourself and then pick up your cross. In other words, you are dying to your own selfish natures and then you follow me. Die to your own selfish natures and follow me. Jesus said, if you want to be great, you don't self-promote. But Jesus said, the greatest among you, let's say it out loud. The greatest among you, say it with me. The greatest among you will be your what? The greatest among you will be your servant. If you are a follower of Christ, we are not called to self-promote or to live selfish, self-centered lives, but instead he calls us to invite us to be selfless, denying self, and taking on the very nature of a servant. In other words, as Jesus, Jesus followers, we are saying serving is not just something that we do. It is an action. It's an action that we reflect who we are, that reflects who we are. Serving isn't just what we do. A servant at, at our core is who we are called to be. I will say this. I am a servant. I love for you to say that aloud with me. Say it with me. I am a servant. I am a servant of the Most High God. Amen. We have to remind ourselves of that sometimes. Because every one of us could get affected by this selfish culture, right? This self-promoting culture that we live in, we could get affected by it. You would have to live in Mars if you don't, if you do not get affected by it, right? So every time we have to remind ourselves that I am a servant of the Most High God. So, what are you always doing? What are you always doing? In Acts chapter 9, verse 36, it says, In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Imagine being called Dorcas. Hey, you're the Dorcas. Hey, Dorcas, how you doing? Poor girl. She went to high school and nowadays. They'll be like, Dorcas, 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 Dorcas. She's a Dorcas. Who's going to prom with Dorcas, you know? Poor girl. But serving isn't just what we do. A servant is who we are. What are you always doing? So if somebody want to answer that question, what would they say that you're always doing? And so we see this girl of Dorcas, we see Tabitha, who mentioned here in Acts chapter 39, verse 36, it's a powerful little verse, one verse, that shows what someone was always doing. So here's the lady named Tabitha. In Greek, her name was Dorcas. She was actually the first Greek female mentioned in all the New Testament, the first one mentioned in the New Testament. Her name meant gazelle. Some, so some scholars think she might have been a beautiful woman. Gazelle's not nice looking. Maybe she was. I don't know. But we don't know that for sure. But what we do know is that she was always doing. She was always doing something. She was, what does the text say? She was always doing good 
and helping the poor. What a description. Imagine that. Your name, and then she was always good at helping the poor. Doing good. What was Dorcas always doing? She was always doing good at helping the poor. She actually did as she made, what she did was make clothing. She would give it to those who were struggling and would often serve widows. Her ministry was so important that when she died, God used Peter to raise her back from the dead. This little revival broke out in her community because here is this woman and what she was doing, known for, her ministry was so important that she was brought back from the dead because she was always doing good. Well, she didn't have, she wasn't on, she wasn't, didn't have a thousand followers on Facebook, friends or followers. She didn't have, a, you know, all these people on Instagram. No, but she was always doing good and helping the poor. So much so that when she died, Peter used, God used Peter to raise her back to life. Because they were, they, if you know the story, they were crying. They were weeping. They were sad, right? Tabitha's gone. What are we going to do without Tabitha? She made, you know, purple clothing. She, she made dyes. She did all this stuff. What are we going to do with her, without her now? How are we going to do this? And how are we going to get clothes? And, how, and they were missing her. And her ministry was so important that she was brought back to life. Instead of always being self-promoting in attitude, she was always selfless, using what she had to make a difference in other people's lives, serving because she knew who she was. She was a servant of the Most High, God. So how do, you, how do we, as Jesus' followers, how do we become a faithful servant? I'm glad you asked the question. How do we become, become a faithful servant? Well, you might say, I can't make clothes, so I can't give to the poor, you know. I can't sing like Hillsong Worship, so I can't sing. I'm not a great Bible teacher. I don't really know how I can make a difference. And so what I want to do today is keep it simple, really, really simple. I want to tell you this. I'm going to give you three images in Scripture that tie with three stories, simple stories that I hope will be memorable for you and will inspire you to become a servant, to serve because of who you are. You are called to be a servant of the Most High God. Amen? You're called to be a servant of the Most High God. So how do we become a faithful servant? Number one, bring a lunch. I'm hungry. Bring a lunch. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Bring a lunch. Man, you just had all this Christmas food and New Year's food. You're talking about bring a lunch to church? I mean, bring a lunch. Offer a ride. Carry a towel. Wait a minute. What does it got to do with Bible? Bring a lunch. Here it says in 1 Samuel 17. The 18, 1 Samuel 17, verse 17 to 18. One day Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. Hmm. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. Now, you know the story. When you get there, they yell at him. Like, David, what are you doing here? You came here to spy on us? You came out here to make fun of us? You know, he was the youngest, right? I know how that feels because I was the youngest before my sister came along. And when she came along, I was like, praise the Lord. I'm not the youngest no more. <laughs> Man, you're a troublemaker. That's what they told him. You're here to spy on us. Because they were mad that they were losing. They were afraid, right? They were cowering. And here comes David with his confident self. He goes there to bring them lunch. So how do you become a faithful servant? The first thing you got to do is you could bring a lunch. You can also offer a ride or you could carry a towel. So let's start with the lunch thing. King David was a war hero. He rose to fame when he killed the giant Goliath. When he came back from battle, he was so admired that the women were actually gathered in the streets and they were singing songs to him about him like, here comes David. Uh -huh. He's our hero. 
you know the story one time david was dancing so hard that his clothes started coming off and his wife michael was like cover yourself you're an embarrassment to us you know but he was dancing before the lord right and one day i'm hoping that one day i'm gonna come home from battle i'm gonna come home from preaching god's word and maria and the girls are gonna be in the driveway singing a song to me that hasn't happened yet but it could happen it might happen today eh? I can see him on Christmas. Daddy, daddy, daddy. Yeah. Don't know this. Okay. I'm daydreaming, I guess, right? So this story, it kind of raises a question. Why was this guy so great? Why was David so great that people were singing, the women were singing about him? A lot of people say that he was great because he won the battle. I would tell you he was great because he brought her lunch. Let me say that again. A lot of people say that he was great because he won a battle. I will tell you he was great because he brought a lunch. You look, uh, look all throughout his life, whether he was playing a heart for Saul or doing the right thing behind the scenes. This man was promoted in the kingdom of God because he had the heart of a servant. What do we mean by the lunch? Well, David was the youngest of eight brothers, the son of a man named Jesse. The older brothers were out fighting at war or at least preparing to fight. And the father said one day, son, I need you to do something. It may not look important, but it's important to God. You don't think David was wanting to be out there fighting too? Especially if his brothers were making fun of him. You're such a mama's boy. You know? So one day the Bible says, Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. In other words, he said, David, do you want one day to, uh, David, do you want to one day fight in the battle? First, you bring a lunch. First, you must be willing to do what may be insignificant, what isn't often visible to others. You must do things behind the scene. You, what you... What you do may feel like it's behind the scenes, but the way you are promoted in the kingdom of God is never by self-promotion. It's always by serving. He was a servant. He had a servant's heart. Wait a minute. He goes from being a shepherd to the king. Why? Because the Lord chose him. Right? He chose him. So if you want to be great, what do you, what do, you do? You can serve. The greatest among you is his servant, and one of the ways you can do this is simply by being obedient to bring a lunch. Bring a lunch. If God said to do something simple, do it. Because he promotes those who are obedient to him. Amen? Because you're not about self-promotion. You're about serving others. Number two, offer a ride. Offer a ride. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 19, 31. If anyone, you, anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. We know the story, right? About the donkey. Man, this is, this, and this is amazing. This is a prophecy that was mentioned 550 years before this event ever took place. Imagine this. Zechariah, a prophet, prophesied that one day. The, that one day the king would come riding on a donkey. This prophecy would have blown people's minds because they were going to think it's the king coming. He's not coming on a donkey, but he's coming on a white horse with flowing robes, a crown on his head, and everybody was going crazy. Just like in our culture, it would be like him coming in a stretch limousine and paparazzis out there flashing and everywhere. But instead, this is an equivalent of riding on a donkey. It's an equivalent to being where he's riding on a moped. That's what it's like. 
We never expected him to come on a horse. But instead, he's riding on a donkey. In our culture today, it's like Pastor Raphael showing up in a, in a moped. Beep, beep, hi, guys. You know? That's what it's equivalent to, like, you know, like. And Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to need you to secure a donkey. A 553-year-old prophetic event is about to go down. And Jesus says, if anyone asks you why, here's what I want to tell them. Here's what I want to tell them. Why are you untying a donkey? Just say to them, the Lord needs it. That's it. The Lord needs it. How can you be faithful as a servant? Well, you can simply offer somebody a ride. That's exactly what happened with this business person in the New Testament. And what I love about the story is we don't know who the man is. We don't know his name. We don't know what he did for a living. We don't know if he owned 10 donkeys, 500 donkeys. We, don't, we, we do know and can assume that he had a business because it was luxury to be able to afford a donkey. That was a luxurious thing back then. And this guy simply said, yes, you can take what I have and I'll offer a ride. He didn't say, you can't do that. What are you guys doing? He don't say, oh, I didn't realize you were asking for my low mileage, never before written donkey. This is Eeyore. This, is not, this isn't Eeyore. This is the high-end donkey. So you can't have that one. Let me go find Eeyore. Where's Eeyore? No Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? This one has upgraded hooves, you know. This is the best of the best. So it's, it's going to cost you a little more. You have to rent it because this is the, you know, the top-notch model. It shines brightly, you know. He might even talk to you like he did to Balaam. He might say, hey, what are you doing? You know, remember, he spoke to Balaam. No, what he, simple, what he simply did was said, if the Lord has need of it, then I'm willing to offer. I'm willing to offer what I have because I am a servant of the Most High God. How can you make a difference as a servant? Well, you could bring a lunch or you can simply offer a ride by offering a ride, this guy made a way for Jesus to ride into town, and you can make a difference by bringing a lunch, offering a ride, or you can carry a towel. Somebody waving a towel. Here's what it says in John 13, 4 and 5. So Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Now, this is the most powerful picture from the New Testament because the setting is just before Passover. It's a Thursday night. There's a secret meeting going on in the upper room, and Jesus was seated, seated there with his disciples, and he knows what he's about, to, he's about to give his life. In other words, the very reason that he is here is about to come to pass is he's going to suffer in a big way. And then an argument breaks out with his disciples. They say, do you know? What, we, what, 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 what we're going to be about this morning, tonight? Do you know what Jesus is going to do? And you know what the argument was about? They kept on going back and forth. They wanted to know who's the GOAT, who's the greatest of all time. They were arguing about who's the GOAT. That's exactly what happened in that story that broke out before Jesus was going to give his life. Who do you think is the greatest? And some can imagine each of the disciples kind of pitching their part. I can imagine John saying, well, obviously, I'm the greatest because everybody knows that Jesus loves me. You know? I'm loved by Jesus. And you realize how annoying John was? 
When he wrote his gospel, he wrote it in the second person. In the second person. He wrote about himself in the second person that Jesus, that the one that Jesus loves. If you read it in the gospel, in John, over and over he says, and John, the one that Jesus loved. And you know what I might have ticked Peter off? And I can picture Peter saying all of in John's face, no, 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 no. Remember when Jesus was walking on the water and who got out the boat and walked towards him while the rest of you were sitting on your butts doing nothing, sitting over here, and I got up and I met Jesus. And I can picture one of them saying, well, you sank too. And Jesus had to reach out his hand and pick you up. Right? And he said, but at least I stepped out. So I'm his favorite. And then Bartholomew, I like to call him Bart. You know, Bartholomew, he's going to say, well, yeah, but what about me? I'm the greatest. And most of them are like, we didn't even know you were a disciple. I mean, nobody even knows, going to remember you, right? You, I mean, what have you done? And he shuts up because that's poor Bartholomew. So who's the, who's the greatest of all times? They're all arguing about that. I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. Jesus loves me. I'm right, I'm right in the second person, the one that Jesus loves. And Peter's like, I'm the one that you know, got out of the boat. I'm the one that's going to chop off that guy's ear later on. You know, I'm the one. And Jesus is sitting at the table knowing that he did not come to be served, but to serve others. He looks around and sees proud hearts and dirty feet. Stinky feet. Thank God you're all wearing your shoes this morning. Praise the Lord. And so what does Jesus do? Well, scriptures say Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothes, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Now, if you've ever been there, if you were there, okay, if you had been there, this would have been the most scandalous act of selfish service that you have ever seen in your whole life. Why? Because everyone there is going to say, nope, Jesus, you can't do this to me. And so they did, right? No, not you and not me. Now, you may say, what is the washing of feet? What is that business all about? Well, this was a tradition of custom. It was polite. For example, if you came to my home today, I would say, hey, what can I get you? And you can sit on this sofa. Can I get you, take your coat? Can I offer you a drink? And you want some coffee, right? And that's the kind of thing that we do. But here, can I take your coat or offer a drink or, or can I wash your feet? Imagine that. Imagine you come to my house and say, can I take your coat, offer you a drink, can I wash your feet? Because you're wearing sandals and you walked into that dirt pile right there. You walked along the way, all that way here. Your feet are dirty and dusty, but the host would never wash feet. That was the culture. The host never did it. Even though they did wash the feet, it wasn't the host that washed the feet. Here's what happened. I wouldn't say to you, well, if you came to my house, I wouldn't say to you, can I take your coat, can I offer you a drink, and you want me to give you a pedicure? You want me to wash your feet, bro? I'll, I'll get in there and get those corns, you know. I wouldn't do that, right? You'd be like, huh? That's nasty. Because feet are nasty. And sometimes when I walk around barefoot, Marie's like, you need to cut your toenails. I'm like, praise the Lord. I might be a weapon for me one day, you know. I mean, there's a reason why Bruce Lee was famous. I, I don't know. <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> she tells me that. Because feet are nasty, right? 
And so what will happen is that you, you will invite someone in and ask, can we have your feet washed? And then you ask your servant. It wasn't a host that washed the feet. It was the servant. Or you will ask a slave to go and kneel down to wash the feet. And what Jesus does is he looks around the room and he sees proud hearts, dirty feet. And Jesus put on a slave's apron, gets down on his hands and knees, takes a bowl and a towel and starts washing feet. What? The son of God? The king of kings? The Lord of lords? The one that did all these miracle signs and wonders? He's out there washing feet? Nasty, stinky, dirty feet? Who is Jesus? He's the son of God. He is the bread of life. He is the prince of peace. He is the living water. He is the great high priest. He is the light of the world. He is the lamb of God. He is the righteous judge. He is the living stone. He is the true vine. He is the king of glory. He is the chosen one. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is our redeemer. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our rock. He is our Lord. And he knelt down, took a bowl, carried a bowl, and washed feet. The King of Kings. Wow. I just get excited about that because of who he is. Who he is. And he went there and washed feet. Because Jesus knew that greatest among you is never a self-promoter, but he's always a servant. And he said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve others, to give my life as a rancher, ransom for their sins. So how do you become great? You bring a lunch, you offer a ride, you carry a towel. Because serving is not just something that we do. A servant is who we are. It's who we are. I'm a servant of the Most High God. And when I serve others, I'm serving Christ. You say, well, how do, does that make sense? Well, Jesus told another story in Matthew 25, and Jesus said, One day at the end of, it, uh, of time, all the people are going to be standing before me, and I'm going to separate them. I'm going to put the sheep on this side, and on the other side, I'm going to put the goats. He's going to ask the goats, who do you want to be? And they're going to say, I want to be the greatest of all time. And he will say to the goats, I'm sorry, but we didn't know each other. I never knew you worker of iniquity, right? And he said to the sheep, welcome into the kingdom. I have prepared a place for you, and I just wanted to tell you, thank you, because when I am thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was locked out, you invited me in. And when I was sick, you prayed for me. And when I was in prison, you visited me. And the sheep would look back and say, um, we're glad that you let us in, but I don't remember that happening. And he, said, he will say this, when, I when did I visit you? When did I give you something to drink? And Jesus would look back to them and say, what you did to the least of these brothers, you actually did to me. When you visited someone else in prison, you were actually showing love to me. When you offered a drink to someone in another country that didn't have access to clean water, drink of water, you contributed to helping them get a well. You were actually doing that to me. When you welcomed somebody who didn't feel welcome and you showed them love and grace, you were actually welcoming me. How do you become great? You become great by being less about you and more about him. Therefore, more people, more about other people. Because why? Serving is not just something we do. A servant is who we are. Mm. It's our essence. It's our, in our core. It's our core. And then Jesus will look back at his sheep and he would say, Well done, my good and faithful servant, because servant isn't just what we do. A servant is who we are. 
And you may say, but I'm not great at a lot. I may be able to do something small, but it's very insignificant. And in the kingdom of God, the little things are the big things. You realize that? In the kingdom of God, the little things are the big things. It's the little things. It's the things that you do when nobody else is looking. It's what you do when you're feeling insignificant. And if you're faithful with the little things, God's going to trust you with even more. Promotion is not a self-reflection of self-promotion. Promotion is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is selfless serving, putting others ahead of ourselves. Promotion is not a reflection of self-promotion. Promotion in the kingdom of God is selfless serving, putting others ahead of ourselves. I'm going to tell you about some of my favorite servants from here at Abiding Hope. First one. Andrew is a senior in high school, and he's here every week helping on worship. And after worship, he goes and helps Pastor Marie in the children's ministry. He's a servant of the Most High God. He's committed to helping, making a difference. And he's a young man, making a difference. I want to tell you about Lisa, who uses his gifts for Sunday school. Even when she's not able to be here at work, she will have it record, uh, be here because she's working. She will have it pre-recorded so you can be able to listen to her. She commits herself doing that on a weekly basis because she is a servant of the Most High God. She enjoys doing that. Then it's Danny who does our sound every Sunday morning and Wednesday night. Even on Saturdays, he's here helping with the sound because he's a servant of the Most High God working with our church to serve other people. Then there's Miss Linda Padgett, who serves faithfully every mobile food drive and helps serve at whatever event we have because she is the servant of the Most High God. She's been there every single one of our food drives. And I'm sorry she's not here this morning to recognize her. Servant of the Most High God. Then you have... Stanley and Dia Rux, who faithfully bring kids to church both Sunday and Wednesday nights, using what they had to reach out and show God's love all the time. Then we have Sister Marie Denton, who makes phone calls to shut-ins and sometimes prepares food for them. She's a servant of the Most High God. So many of you here, ladies came here to take down our Christmas decoration. Thank you, because you are a servant of the Most High God. These are the things that matter in the kingdom of heaven. Well, that just all I did was call, make phone calls. That makes a difference. It makes a difference. The little things we do makes a difference. Amen. They make a difference because God sees it. He sees it. So, what are you always doing? If someone were to describe your life. He's always, she's always helping. She's always doing this. Would it be amazing if they say, oh, he's always offering a ride, or she's always carrying a towel, he's always bringing in lunch, she's always holding a baby, he's always welcoming people at the door, she's always giving to somebody who is in need. Oh, he's always praying. How do you become great? It's not never, is it by self-promoting. When you come to Jesus, you deny yourself. It's not about us, it's about him. But when it becomes all about him, the only thing you can do is respond and say, I'm not doing good. I'm not doing good because I want to impress anybody, but because of what he did for me. I am a servant of the Most High God, and when I serve others, I'm serving Christ. 
How do you become great? Well, you could be like Anthony Smith who loves teenagers, and one day you'll be before God in heaven. And Jesus may look at you and say, thank you for encouraging me when I was only 15. And then Anthony may respond and say, but Jesus, when did I do that? I don't remember seeing you when you were 15, because I'm not that old, right? Every week when you led that small group at the church, Jesus would say, you were loving and serving me, because what you did unto the least of these, my brothers, you are doing unto me. And we think about the small things that we're doing, and we get so discouraged sometimes because we think it's small, and our church is not super huge, so we're concerned about that, and we're looking around and say, you know, but Jesus sees everything that we do. He sees when we serve the people on Mondays. He sees when we call people throughout the week. He sees when we, we are giving a smile to somebody, when we're welcoming others. And here's my honest suggestion for you. For every single one of you who are Christ followers, who follow Jesus, I would suggest that you have a certain place, a consistent place that you serve, where you say, this is where I use my gift. It may be some place in a church, or it may be some place in the community, but I have, you say, I have a systematic place that I, week after week, I'm there consistently pouring into people in the name and the love of Jesus Christ. And I believe that, you, that we, would say, we should all have a place where our gifts are consistently being used as we serve. We should all have a place like that where we're serving, making a difference. Then every single day we wake up and we say something along the lines of, to God, this is the day that you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Because God, you give me the eyes to see people who are in need. Give me the eyes to see. God, give me a heart that breaks for the things that you break your heart. I'm your servant. Help me, God. See opportunities today. I'm on call. Prompt me by your spirit anywhere, anytime, my answer is yes. Are you saying that to God? You may, be prompt me, you may prompt me to carry your lunch. You may speak to me to offer a ride. You may tell me to wash somebody's feet. But I say yes to you because the Lord has needed of it. Man, not many people will volunteer to wash feet. That's a hard one. So I'm bringing a bucket next week. Be prepared. Anyways. And the bleach. And some hand sanitizer. And then one day, if someone were to hear the question, what he's always doing, what she's always doing, then what they would have really, they would have a powerful answer because you decided to help. She's always serving. He's always making a difference. She's always in, engaged. He's helping people, seeing the love of Jesus. He's always there every single week, showing up consistently. You could count on her. She doesn't just talk about Jesus. She lives the love of Jesus. Then one day, one day, you will stand before him, and he will say, thank you for what you did for me, because what you did for the least of these, you did unto me. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And I'll say it again. Servant is not just something we do. A servant is who we are. Hmm. In Matthew 23, 11, says the greatest among you will be your servant. Hmm. I'm going to ask everybody to stand to their feet and bow your head and close your eyes. In our culture today, the greatest among you will be your servant. We don't, that's not something we hear in the world, is it? But this is what Jesus said. 
So, Father, we ask that you would stir us up, shake us, O oh God, move us, Lord. Move us out of this self-centered, self-promoting way of thinking. And, God, may we start by denying ourselves and all of us to those who are, would say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to grow in my heart to serve you. God, help me to see myself as you would see me, a servant making a difference every single day, Lord God. Help us to be the kind of people that you call us to be. And Lord, I pray right now as we lift up our hands right now, lift them up with me. And I want to say, Father, I thank you for the people that are speaking to our hearts. You're speaking to their hearts. God, I pray that you will help all of us to have that consistent place somewhere every week in our church or in our community. Every week, we are consistently representing you, consistently engaged in the lives of the people using the gifts that you have given us in a very simple and very small way to do what, we seem, what may seem insignificant, Lord God. May we not be in the spotlight, but God, it's important to you. Help us, Lord, serve because we are servants of the Most High. And Lord, I pray that you will give us eyes to see and hearts that break for things that break your heart. To be on call every single day saying, yes, I can meet that need. Yes, I can lift her up. Yes, I can be a servant to him. Give us eyes to see who you are, who you can call on, Lord God, as you prompt us. Because God, we are serving. We are, your serving isn't just what we do. A servant is who we are. We are your servants, God. And help us to, by serving others, Lord. Help us to put others first before us. And as you continue to pray, there are some of you here. You're going to become incredibly intensely aware of the reality that you are pretty much living for yourself. There's some people here that God is nipping at your heart. God is hitting you. God is dealing with you right now. Let me tell you what. This wouldn't be unusual because it's un this is unnatural. This is a normal thing. By nature, we are incredibly selfish. We want to put ourselves first. That's our selfish nature, sinful, self-centered beings. That's who we are. But let me tell you that what Jesus did, Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve people. And without him, we can't be about others. Imagine this, the Son of God, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve, to offer my life as a ransom, as a payment for the forgiveness of sins. Who is Jesus, the sinless Son of God, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, who was slain for the forgiveness of our sins? When you recognize who he is and what he did, your only reasonable response is yes. I want, when you call, yes, I want you, Lord God. He hears our prayers, he listens, he forgives every sin that we ever committed. He makes us become brand new. But he doesn't just save you, he changes you. And you recognize that life isn't about me. It's all about bringing glory to him and to make a difference in Jesus' name. And I'm going to say this. There are some of you who you recognize you've been selfish, self-centered, self-promoting, self-absorbed, and suddenly you see Jesus is the Son of God. And you say, after what, I did, what he did for me, I want this freedom. I want his forgiveness. I want, I want to turn to him today. I want to give my life completely to him. There are those who say, I need his grace. I need his mercy. I need his forgiveness. I turn my, from my sins. I turn towards him. Today I give my life to him. That's your prayer. If that's your prayer, lift up your hands and say, I give my life to him. I'm surrendering my life to him. All over this place, I see these hands lifted up. I'm surrendering my life to him. We're going to celebrate God's goodness and grace. Those of you who are watching online, you can put in a comment. 
Put down in the comments. Put down, I'm surrendering my all to him. I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to make it about others instead of myself. And all together, we're going to pray out loud. We pray, Heavenly Father, I give my life to you completely. Jesus, forgive me of my sins and save me. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you. So I can serve you. So I can serve others in my world. Help me to make a difference in the lives of people around me. My life is not my own. I give it all to you. Thank you for a new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. A body of hope worship so Let's give a hand praise to the Lord. Let's give a hand of praise. And Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord. I pray blessings and favor over your people, Lord. Father, I pray that we take this message, and Lord, we say that we don't want, we don't want to be selfish, Lord. We want to be selfless, Lord. We want to follow your example by following who you are, by doing what you called us to do, Lord God, to do the faithful things, the little things that matter, that make a difference, Lord God, as we make deposits for the kingdom of heaven, Lord, as we serve faithfully and trusting you, Lord. Help us to respond in faith, believing, and say, I will serve. I will bring a lunch. I will offer a ride. I will, Lord God, carry a towel. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen.